Listen, at the very onset of this brand new series called Under Construction, we wanted to show that just to make sure that everybody understands one very important thing. Um, old, young, follower of Jesus, just got drug into church today, not quite sure about church and Jesus. Listen, all of us have one thing in common. All of us have made messes. Every one of us. Now, um, I was thinking about messes, and I remember one day in Mrs. Dragsdale's third grade class, um, I was sitting there, we were taking a test, and um, you ever had, you just ever had to go? Like, I had to go. I, I just, I had to go, and it wasn't like, um, it was a bad I had to go. Like, it was like antsy in the pants and, and squirming, the whole deal, and like, I, I, I raised my hand, and like, I got to go. And she was like, no, we're taking a test. Um, I don't know if I didn't give off the appearance of how badly I needed to go. I felt like I did a good job communicating that. But she said no, and so I went. Anyway, right there. And I thought I got away with it. It was, num- it was um, number two, and um, it was a big mess. But I was, I was wearing my dark blue Weeblos uniform. And so I felt like no one would see anything dark on my pants. And I think I got away with it until this guy next to me, his name was Harry, I'll never forget it. He raised his hand, and Ms. Ragsdale said, yes, Harry. And he said, Ms. Ragsdale, something stank. <laughs> Listen, I don't know about your messes, right? But, like, we've all made messes in our lives. And that's what makes this series so good and so difficult. Because we all believe that God can make something beautiful out of the mess. But we also believe something almost as strongly, if not more strongly, and it's more dangerous. What we believe is that he can't do it with ours. He can fix everybody else's mess, but he can't make something beautiful out of mine. And we want to get across in this series that he can make something beautiful out of the mess of our lives, without a doubt. I found a source online while I was preparing for this that said that over the lifetime, over our lifetimes, the average person will make 750, a little bit over 750,000 decisions. And they will come to regret almost 170,000 of them. Now, I don't know if that's true. I mean, who who does that study, right? Like, you're logging your mistakes. Uh, Decision one, decision, yeah, regret that one. I don't know if that's true or not, but I do know this. All of us have made a mistake at some point. And all of us probably have made one, at least one of the same mistakes. Um, You know, there's like order envy is a real thing. Order envy. You've probably never heard of that. Order envy is when you go to the restaurant with a bunch of your friends and everybody places their order. You feel pretty good about your order until all the food comes. And they set all the food out on the table, and you look at everybody's plate, and you look at yours, you're like, what was I thinking? Like, theirs looks so good. All of us have experienced that at some point. So we've all made mistakes, and that mistake isn't even a big one. That mistake will cost you nothing except the price of that meal. Some of the mistakes that we've made, the stakes are so much higher than that. But God is powerful enough to overcome bad choices, bad actions, the things that make you lay awake at night with regret. He's more powerful than that. And so this series will be powerful and difficult because we want to believe he can, but we're not quite sure he can. 
And the, the, the tendency to believe more that he can't fix our mess is why when I quote Ephesians 2.10, and I do it all the time. It's one of my favorite verses. It's one of our hallmark verses here at the gathering. We believe it with all of our heart that you are his masterpiece. And that he has created you in Christ to do good works that he prepared even before you were born for you to do. You're his masterpiece. And when I read that with all the passion I've got, the reason that you kind of go, eh, is because you really don't believe he can pull that off in your life. But he can. We believe that he can pull that off in your life with your mess. And so if you're here this morning, you're not sure if God's powerful enough to pull it off in your life, I've got two points. That's all I got today is two points for you. Good news for you. And here's the first point. They're both going to rhyme so you don't forget them. Don't stress the mess. Don't stress the mess. Now, listen, here's why we stress over messes. Because we, you ever walk into a dirty room and you're like, I'm cleaning this room today. Like you woke up in the, in the morning early, you got your coffee, you got to have coffee first. Like you're drinking your coffee and you're like, today, I don't know what's going to happen in the world, but I know one thing that's going to happen in my world. I'm cleaning that mess, right? You wake up with that, like you're ready to go. And then you walk into the room. Am I talking to anybody here, right? You walk into the room, you sip that last sip of coffee, you put it down and you know that you're like, oh, this is messy. I might do that tomorrow. Right, like we, we get so overwhelmed with, with the mess because we don't quite know how to tackle it. But I want to give you good news this morning. You and I serve a God if you're a follower of Jesus. And if you're not, I want to give you better news. There is a God who knows what to do with messes. A couple of examples from Scripture. Just jot the names down. Google is your friend later. I'll let you look up the references. They're all in the Bible. Joseph. Joseph, um, let's see if we can describe Joseph. Joseph was an arrogant teenager. No teenagers in the house like that, right? All the, all the teens and preteens here, you're like super chill. But Joseph was an arrogant teenager who had a dream that his brothers and his father were going to bow down before him. Now, what teenager has not had that dream? Am I right? Is that like, come on, do I get an amen from the teens? Like, that's my dream right there. My family bow. Bow down, family, right? So he tells them about it. Not a good move. He tells them about it, and as a result, they said, we ain't going to bow down to you. We're going to throw you into a pit, and you can die. Like, you know, somewhere like between the ground up here and the ground at the bottom of the pit, Joseph was thinking, like, this is not how I planned it, right? He gets sold into slavery, falsely accused, put in prison, forgotten by men, but remembered by God. And promoted by God to second in command over his country. Peter, heard of that guy? Peter was like a loud mouth. If you're sitting next to somebody like this, do not point, do not even look at them right now. Okay, don't just look straight ahead, right? A loud mouth, arrogant, would say whatever came, like spoke first, thought later. Don't even, I'm telling you, look straight ahead, look straight ahead. Some of you are like, Pastor, talking about you, right? Like, Listen, he denied Jesus. Can I just, I want to make sure you get that, right? I'm hammering this one today. I want to make sure you get this. He walked daily with Jesus for three years. Like you and I, I'm giving you a little, bit of, a little bit of slack here. You and I can at least say things like, well, if I'd have been with Jesus, I wouldn't. He was with Jesus three years every day, and he denied him. I don't know if you can make a bigger mess than that, right? 
But the God who can handle messes restored Peter. And Peter went on to preach the gospel, preach the first sermon in Acts. Saw thousands daily come to Christ. Was martyred for Jesus, hanging upside down because he didn't want to be crucified the same way that his Lord was. What about Paul? Paul was a contemporary of Peter, not me. And you're thinking about the band, Peter, Paul, and Mary. No. Paul, I mean, Peter, yeah, Paul was, he was like even worse than Peter. Peter denied Jesus. Paul killed Christians. Um, not like slipped them a drug in their drink and they fell asleep peacefully. He slaughtered. He went from town to town looking for families who were following Jesus and slaughtered them. That's a mess. And what did God do? Well, Paul encounters Jesus, encounters God, and he becomes the greatest author we know. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, a phenomenal speaker, an evangelist for the gospel. What about, what about Rahab? You ever heard of Rahab? Rahab was a prostitute. <laughs> look straight ahead, look straight ahead. She was a prostitute, right? Living in Jericho, but... God used her, and she was willing to be used to deliver Jericho into the hands of God's people. A prostitute then becomes included in the genealogy of Jesus. Now, I know that you know what a genealogy of Jesus is, but I bet you've never read it. Because if you're like me, and like reading in Matthew, you're like, I'm going to read the New Testament this year. It's your goal. You, you get up, you, you read the first couple of verses, you're like, this is pretty good. And then it's like, and so-and-so came from so-and-so, from so-and-so, and you're just like, dang. Like we're, I was expecting something amazing. So you're like, I love you, God. Slip down to like verse 22, right? You just skip this whole thing. But here's what's in the genealogy. Rahab, a prostitute, is included in the genealogy of the Son of God. I say my God can overcome messes. She's one of only five women included in the genealogy. And I want to make sure that you get this. I'm, again, I'm spending a little bit of time on this. I want to make sure you get it. It's hard today, and I'm not a woman, in case you didn't know, newsflash, but it's hard today for us to really envision what women felt like and experienced back in this day. Back then, they were not even considered human. They were considered property. Nobody cared what they thought unless women did, and then nobody wanted to care what they had to say. They were, they were almost as low as slaves, just a, just a step above in that culture. And our God included five women in the genealogy of his son. Listen, what that says to me is he can overcome the messes that we make, and we all make messes, right? But he can also overcome the messes that other people make that affect us. Five women included in the genealogy of the son of God. I love that. He can, he can overcome all the mess. So what do we learn from this? We learned that five verses that... You may or may not have ever read, or maybe you've heard them, are really true and really powerful in our lives. I'm going to give them to you. You can jot them down. Jeremiah, Genesis 50, 20. Remember I talking about Joseph. Joseph, when he's finally restored and he's second in command, his brothers come to visit him. And his brothers bow down. They don't know who it is. They bow down in front of him. Now, I don't know what you would be like, okay? I'm just going to put myself in the story. Insert Paul here. If I told my, my brothers that they were going to bow down before me and they said, nuh-uh, and try to kill me, and then years later they bowed down before me, I think what I would have said was, nah, 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 right? 
Pablo, yeah, I, but what did Joseph say? He looks at his brothers, he says, Genesis 50, 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You made a mess and God has cleaned it up. Proverbs 19, 21, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Job 42, 2. Job had a rough go at the end of the rough time. He says this, I know, God, that you can do all things, and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. This is a powerful God. Lamentations 3, 37. Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? And in Romans 8, 28, one of those coffee cup verses. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to to his purpose. What does this mean? What do these verses mean? Don't stress the mess. Don't stress the mess. What we need to do instead of stressing the mess is we need to readdress the mess, okay? Let me explain what that means. Anybody ever moved before? Like from one house to another, you ever moved? You ever had your mail forwarded to you, right? All they're doing is they deliver the mail to your old location but because there's a, a forwarding a address, they then move it to your new location. You don't have to go back to the old place to pull your mail out. They bring it to you. That's what I mean by readdress the mess. The reason that we stress so much over messes in our lives is because there are messes and they come to us and we're like, I don't know what to do with this. So we try to fix it and we make a bigger mess. But God wants us to readdress the mess to the God that we just read about. It's like, guys, I can handle it. Just forward that on to me. You got a mess in your life right now? That's what you need to be doing. Don't stress the mess. Readdress the mess. Now, I'm not much of a um, handyman. Can I get an amen on the front row? Mm-hmm. I didn't ask for y'all's help. I think Wendy had it. I'm probably more guilty at home of, of making bigger messes when I try to fix the mess, right? I've learned, like, sometimes you got to pick up the phone and call plumbers. <laughs> uh, I had a small drip, and now it's a flood, right? Help, please. I want you to readdress the mess, okay? Here's point two. It rhymes. You're going to love it. When you're facing a mess, instead of stressing the mess, I want you to give the disaster to the master. I know you loved it. I'm going to say it again. You're going to get a tattoo like this. I know it. Give the disaster to the master. Readdress that mess. Give it to the Lord. Let me give you a real quick real-life example. Currently at our house, we have a major problem. Our printers are not printing. Now, in the summertime, not such a big deal, right? But when school starts back and the boys will be off at college, they'll have their own issues. Oh, <laughs> they'll have issues, right? Pray for us. They'll do great, but anyway, school issues. Wow. They'll have other printers. Sydney's going to be in school, and she's going to walk in. She's going to go, Dad, I need to print this, and I need to print it like now before I go to school, like in five minutes. If our printers are not, taught, are not printing, we have a major problem. Now, I feel like I'm pretty tech savvy. I can navigate around some computers and some networks. 
So at our house currently, we have Apple computers and a Brother printer and a Lexmark printer, right? And so when I connect them, it says they're all connected. Like I can press the button on my printer and it says I'm connected to your Internet, which I know you don't really care, but our network is IP daily. I'll let that sink in. I, pee, I thought that was brilliant. We changed it from sometimes I pee myself, but it's all good, right? I knew you would enjoy, you would enjoy that. Everybody under, like, 25 is like, that was awesome. Everybody over 25, like, fire Paul right now. Fire him. Get him out of here. So they're all connected. I can see it. It says it's connected to the network. The, the computer's connected to the network. The other printer's connected. But when I hit print, like at the bottom of my Mac screen, things start jumping, and that's never good when things start jumping. It means message, message, and the message is always the printer's not connected. And that's when I just have to step back and go, I don't know what's going on because they're all connected and they're not working. Now, I say all that because it's possible that somebody sitting here today in the 11 o'clock service at the gathering knows how to fix my stuff. And if you do know how to fix it, wouldn't I be crazy to not ask you to come to my house and fi- I could fix you something to eat or drink while you fix my stuff, right? But, but what about this? Even better, and I would, by the way, do that if you know how to fix it, but even better than that, what if tomorrow I had a phone call, a conference call at my house with the head of Apple, the head of Brother, the head of Lexmark, and the head of my router, who I don't know who made that, but whatever, if the people that designed all of these pieces of equipment, what if I had a conference call tomorrow and all of them said, we would like to come to your house on our dime and fix your stuff? What am I saying? Oh, okay. What am I saying? I'm saying yes, right? I'm like, can you be here now? I mean, I'm praying, no pun intended, that you're making the connection right now. That what I just described, that is a very real situation in my house with technology, is often the problem that we have with our lives. We create the mess, and we have the designer who says, I can step in and fix that if you'll just let me. Take the disaster to the master. A couple of verses for you. Psalm 139.13. Just so you can see that you have a God who is building something great in you. He has a plan for your life. Psalm 139.13 says this, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Now that's kind of a weird verse because I can remember watching my grandmother knit Picturing God knitting, not it's kind of weird, but you get what he's saying, right? You knit me together like you intimately created me. You formed me. Jeremiah 1.5 says this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. We serve a God who has a plan for our lives. Ephesians 2.10, we read it earlier. For you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, Jeremiah 29, 11, you've got this on a coffee cup probably as well. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope 
and a future. And listen, we have made an entire marketing system out of that one verse. It's, it's plastered everywhere. But just to make sure you understand the context of that verse, that was spoken to people that were in a mess. The, the children of God were in captivity when that was spoken to them. Because our God loves to step into messes and clean them up and use them. He makes beautiful things out of messes. So what does that look like if you're sitting here, 11 o'clock service at the gathering on August the 6th, 2017? What does that look like in your life? I mean, okay, Paul, don't tell me about like some music, some, some song you played earlier with a video and scripture verses way, way back in the day that we weren't even alive when they were written. We believe they're true, but they're so old. What does it look like now? Um, here's what we're going to do over the next five weeks. Each week you're going to see a short video of somebody that you know from this church who has experienced being under construction, who's experienced God stepping into their lives and beginning to build them the way that he intended. And here's the first one. Growing up, I was basically public enemy number one. I was heavily involved in drugs. Um, I battled rage. I, I really liked fighting. Um, I just, I partied a lot. Um, I really didn't care about um, hurting anybody's feelings. You know, I, I was a, t a statistic. And in any book you read or go online, you know, if you do A, B, and C, then you're going to be in one of these three categories. And I, you know, rehab, jail, death. I've done the two, minus death, because I'm, I'm here talking to you, so um, I haven't died. I left Albemarle, went to Boone, and I was in a car wreck in 2005, and one of my good friends lost his life in that wreck. So that was a very hard point in my life. So. I ultimately got out and went to a halfway house, and from there, I, I was I was doing good, but I still had that same me mentality. There was still no Jesus. There was, you know, it was just me versus the world, and I was constantly trying to prove myself, um, and it didn't it didn't work out. I got to spend um, quite a bit of time um, in a cell by myself, and there wasn't much reading material, so that just happened to be a book that I could reach through the bars and grab that was the message version or the translation of the Bible, and so, so I read it cover to cover. Um, I had plenty of time to do that, and there was um, a correctional officer that was a little bit different than everybody else. Um, I didn't know at the time that he was a Christian, but you know, I, I could always ask him something like, hey, what, what do you think this means? And he would answer those questions for me. And 
you know, I, I, w- I wish I could remember his name, but I, or I just can't because um, I'd like to thank him for that. Um, but I, I'm, I met Jesus in a jail cell here in Albemarle. My life is different because of Jesus in more, more ways than I can even describe, really. I, it's hard just to say this stuff because then I feel like I'm, I'm boasting about myself, but I know that everything that I've accomplished is because of Jesus and the choices that I've made to choose Him over my old lifestyle, to separate myself from the people that constantly were bringing me down. I had to rid myself of the negativities. Um, it, it, it's, a, it, it's totally different. I, I'm extremely successful in what I do. Um, I'm excelling um, as a professional. I feel like I'm a great husband and father. Um, I'm probably not good at laundry. I don't get as angry as I used to. Um, I still get aggravated, but I can definitely tell that Jesus is working in me because before I would just, I would flip out. I mean, like something's getting broke or set on fire and I'm probably going to jail. And I don't have to worry about that anymore. I don't have to worry about if I'm driving down the street and the cops are behind me that, do I need an escape route or are they gonna pull me over? I don't even have to think about that stuff anymore. The greatest joy that I have right now is that I'm able to take the things that I've learned um, by accepting Jesus and instill that into my children and pray with my wife and pray and pray over my family, pray for all the families in the church. Um, I'm so 100% committed to our community, this church in general. I mean, I would, that's why I'm do, I do security. I, I would lay my life down for, for anybody in this group because, I mean, We're all brothers and sisters, and that's important to me. I'm Thomas Covington, and I'm under construction. Boom. So as we're kind of wrapping up this morning uh, and and kind of kicking off this series, let me just remind you again, under construction, the the very title of this series recognizes that there's going to be a mess. Right? You ever see those signs that say, pardon our mess, we're under construction? It's just going to be a mess. What we don't want to have happen is we don't want to ignore the fact that we have a builder who can handle the things that are going on in our lives. Psalm 127, verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, I think sometimes we labor in vain because we try to build God's building without God. You know, I asked you earlier in the service to look to your right and your left, and, and then like I said, we all make mistakes and messes, and you all laughed because you know it's true about the people that are next to you. They also know it's true about you. But what I really know to be true about everybody in this room is that God has a master plan for your life. And, and here, here's your big idea. A master plan calls for a master builder. If we try to build God's plan ourselves, 
we're going to mess it up. But a master plan calls for a master builder. So I want to close with a scripture from Jonah. Jonah is another one of those people that I could have named earlier that ended up in a really big mess. But his big mess, this is crazy. I know we've heard stories about it. He was in the belly of a giant fish. I've never been there, right? But I'm, I'm imagining horrific smells, just nasty. And every time you look up, more junk's coming in. I mean, this is the perfect picture of our lives when we're in the middle of a mess. And what did Jonah do in the middle, in the belly of that giant fish? Jonah chapter 2 says that he, he called out to God, which is what I want us to do this morning as we close. I want us, from the mess that we may be in, to call out to God. And here's what the Bible says that Jonah prayed. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. And from deep in the realm of the dead... That's about as bad as you can get right there. Deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Listen, Jonah made a mess, and instead of stressing over the mess, he gave the disaster to the master. And guess what God did? He went, it's about time, jerk. You cost me all this time. I had to, like, get this fish to come up and swallow you. Are you kidding me, Jonah? Well, I'm glad you made it right. Go sit in your room. That's not what he did. Now, he did, and I think probably God got a little bit of joy out of having the fish vomit Jonah out, right? So there's other ways he could have gotten him out, but I think God was like, I'm cool with this. Blech. But once Jonah got out and he was kind of cleaned up a little bit, the first verse of Jonah 3 says this, and I love this. This might be the most hope-filled sentence in the Bible. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. That's the God that we serve. That's the God who can take your mess and turn it into something beautiful. Because he can give you second chance and third chance and fourth chance. He never runs out of grace. And that's a hard concept for us because we're always running out of things. Money, clothes, right? We're running out of time. We run out of things. But he never runs out of grace. He extends his hand in mercy to us I love this song that's playing right now you can have it all Lord another example of something that was written in a mess because the person that's singing it now and wrote it wrote it in a bout of depression listen we serve a God who can take the mess that we have and turn it into something beautiful because a master plan calls for a master builder would you just close your eyes for a moment would you begin to take stock of your life and ask yourself this question are you in the middle of a mess right now let me give you some ways to think about that it's possible that the mess is long gone but you're still living with the regret of it and that's messy too I want to give you the opportunity today to do what we've talked about the whole time Instead of continuing to stress that mess, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the opportunity to bring that disaster to the master and trust him, the master builder, to carry out his master plan. If that's you this morning and you're like, that's, man, I, I'm, this is just hitting home for where I am right now, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand and say, that's me. You're not going to have to come to the front. You're not to stand up. Just raise your hand and say, that's me. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
And I just want to end this morning praying over you that raised your hands, that you would begin to experience the miracle that Jonah did. I hope you don't get vomited out anywhere, but that you would begin to experience the amazing grace of a God who gives the word a second time, who takes that mess and turns it into something beautiful. And over the next four weeks of this series, I'm praying that God does something amazing in your life, that you walk out of here each week filled with more and more hope that that God who did it for them can do it for you. So, Father, right now in your name, Jesus, I pray for those that, that raise their hands. I pray, God, that as you, as you did for Jonah, for Joseph and Peter and Paul, for Rahab, and for numbers of other people in the Bible that we could still name, as you did it for Thomas, we just watched the video. This is a man that we see every single week serving here at the gathering. You are no respecter of persons. And so I'm praying, God, that you would fill those that raise their hands with hope to know that you are working in the mess to build something amazing, God. The phrase that we want people to remember the entire message, the entire series is simply this. When God is building, there is always hope. Always. And, God, we thank you for that. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.